Welcome in everyone to Flyover Footy. My name is Matt Baker, joined as always by my friend in soccer, Santiago Beltran. And you might be listening to us on the big 550KTRS or as a podcast in your feeds, but either way, we thank you for joining us. And we're here as we always are to talk St. Louis City. We've got a nice long break ahead of us and we have some fun stuff to talk about. This is going to be kind of a little bit of a recap podcast. So if you're familiar with our stuff on Flyover Fallout, where Santi and I recap the previous matchup, you're going to feel right at home for this. We've got a nice... Nice dive into Vancouver as much as anybody really wants to talk about Vancouver in all honesty. But then we're also going to kind of set the stage for where we're going to be in the next couple of weeks because City doesn't have a match until October 21st. We are in almost a reminiscent period from League's Cup where we just don't know exactly what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks other than watching other teams, see how the playoffs shake out. So we're going to cover it all. We've got a fun uh, wind down if you're listening to us on the podcast. And we're just going to have a a little bit of a good time tonight. But we're going to start it off like we usually do, recapping the previous match. In this case, it was the Vancouver Whitecaps. It was a 3-0 loss. And it was just an overall disappointing match. Santi, I almost hate to jump right into a a loss like that, but how are you doing tonight? And um, I guess what are your big thoughts on Vancouver? I'm doing great. A little tired from... MLS after dark, obviously, with that late kickoff. But, um, but yeah, I've been thinking a lot about, about the game. And, yeah, it, it was a loss. I think um, there are some good takeaways. Uh, like, uh, it will set everything for a big game against Seattle. could become, like, a big celebration. And, and Bradley Arnell was saying it last night, like, you cannot win every game, and this is one that the team is gonna learn from. And I'm sure some lessons from this uh, will be good for the playoff run. You know, that's the probably biggest takeaway is we had already clinched. We know that we knew coming into this that there wasn't a whole lot at stake as far as playoff seating. This was very much an internal competition within ourselves, right? To get the points record for expansion side, and all this really does is it really sets the stage for Seattle here in a couple weeks. With St. Louis sitting where we are, one point shy of the expansion team points record to LAFC, the opportunity to do that at home at City Park, uh, we talked about it before the game, that if if we end up losing to Vancouver, which we did, the silver lining is that we can do at least have this kind of a celebration at home because we've missed a few things yeah. being in the stadium. It, things have shaken out with other teams impacting us where we do our own business, but then we have to wait on others. And that's been the case. That was the case for clinching the first place in the conference. And now we have an opportunity to look forward to Seattle finishing the season and setting that record at home. So that that game is really going to be fun to dive into in a couple weeks when we do that. I wanted to kind of look at some of the big stories following up from Vancouver because I felt we did a pretty good job of identifying the overarching themes that would impact this game that St. Louis City ran into, Uh, that being Jake Nerwinski's first time back in Vancouver. Him and Tim Parker both played for Vancouver, and they were back up there. Vancouver's hunger to remain a playoff team, that was very readily apparent. And then what will City do with their lineup, rotation, approach after clinching, and how will that impact the match? All three of those, I think, played a big factor. Starting off, let's start off with Jake Nerwinski. Jake Nerwinski has a lot of history with Vancouver. We talked about it on last week's pod. Six seasons played with Vancouver. It was his only professional team before City. Means a lot to him. He was excited to go back. I felt like Jake Nerwinski had a good game. 
He had the second best FOP mob rating for City at 6.4, which admittedly is not great, showing just how kind of problematic our offense had that our defenders were our higher ranked uh, FOP mob ratings. Jake Nowinski was third on the team in total touches, tied for second on the team in passes into the final third, tied for first in the team in clearances. And oftentimes I felt he played that third center back role when Anthony Markanik was in transition. So the way we usually do our asymmetrical approach, we have a defensive minded, so to speak, right back in Jake Nowinski. We had a left back in Anthony Markanik who likes to push high. Jake Nowinski, I felt, played a pivotal role on the right side. He had a lot of disruptions. He really kept everything steady on that side of the field. And when we get into the goals here in a little bit and what happened in those, I don't think there was a moment where I could ever point to Jake Nerwinski and say, oh, he let the moment get too big for him, or he tried to do a little too much in, in this opportunity for him and showing what he can do against his former team. He stayed very measured. He had good approaches. He had some really finely timed tackles. I felt there was some moments where he was he was aggressive, but he wasn't too aggressive. And and he really timed his runs and his tackles very well. Yeah, he definitely had a had, had a good game. Uh, uh, although what you said, like the rating, uh, even though not bad, like everybody had very low ratings. But uh, but yeah, I think he didn't let the moment get to him, and and he had some uh, good clearances. Uh, and and I was surprised at times. Uh, I was like, where is Markanik? And then I would see three in the back with with. Jake Nerwinski being that third center back and Mark Hanning at times played so high. I was actually surprised uh, when we get into the network uh, to see that um, he didn't look as high as uh, Nerwinski did, but at times he was way up there and, and had three in the back with Jake Nerwinski as the third center. But good game for him, uh, good way to uh, come back to Vancouver after six years, obviously. Um, I'm sure he wanted to to get a result the, the team probably wanted to get a result for him but it just wasn't in the cards yesterday vancouver on the other hand their hunger to remain a playoff team well they satisfied that they clinched their spot in the audi mls cup playoffs i felt like vancouver did exactly what we expected them to they were aggressive they they pushed high they created a whole lot of chances they had shots on goal just it seemed like non-stop they were putting the ball on net and this was an effective run by Ryan Gold and Brian White. They had they had multiple opportunities where the, the ball didn't actually go on net, especially in the first half. They didn't have a single shot on net in the first half, but the the opportunities were there. And any ball that falls just a little bit here or there could have found net. And and they were putting themselves in some really dangerous opportunities. If you look at a lot of the, uh, especially in the first half, if you look at the the overall shot comparisons, it was completely one-sided. And we're going to get into the game flow here in a minute, but Vancouver, uh, they, they knew exactly what was at stake for them, and they rose to the occasion. Yeah, not only what was at stake, uh, but also uh, probably knowing that maybe City was going to have a little bit of rotation. And the other thing, their remaining games are against Seattle, visiting Seattle, and then going to LAFC. So probably in their minds, uh, they knew, okay, we have to take our business here. Uh, that way we don't have to uh, depend on what happens in the last two weeks. Uh, going and playing, visiting Seattle, it's always tough. And then uh, 
uh, finishing against LAFC will also be a tough game. So I think they, they rose to the occasion and uh, I was impressed with, with the way they, um, they pressed at the beginning during the first half, first 15, 20 minutes, and they will not give the ball to City. Like it was, the ball was most of the time in um, in City's end. Yeah, and if you look at their passing network, they they ran a three center back look, and they definitely controlled the midfield. And that was, I think, a byproduct of City's rotation as well in what the lineup it was. The City ran out, so we usually start our flyover fallouts looking at the starting lineup, Santi. Let's just dive right into what City chose to do with this approach. It wasn't a complete rotation, so I, I felt like we were preparing ourselves for something that we didn't truly see, but there just didn't seem to be a hunger in the the group that was there. The Bradley Carnell spoke after the game about this felt like they looked a bit more hungry, playing with an edge to prove, and we didn't have a remedy. He mentioned that they didn't stick to their principles at all. It just wasn't a game that felt like a City game. And uh, I think the lineup was, it, it was kind of a symptom of it. And so started off, Roman Berkey had a rest for the first time in an MLS match this season. Ben Lunt saw his first MLS start ever. Anthony Markanik, Tim Parker, Josh Yarrow, and Jake Nerwinski were on our back line. Jabulu Blom, Edu Leuven in the midfield, fairly standard for the back line in the midfield. And then Jared Stroud, Tomas Ostrak, Sam Adenron, Nico Joachini. And that seems like a pretty strong city lineup. And I felt like it was it was the exact thing that we talked about before the game. It was leveraging some key depth pieces, namely uh, Ben Lunt is the obvious, I think, X factor that a lot of people pointed to. But Josh Yarrow, uh, Jared Stroud is kind of a tweener at this point of, is he in a best 11? Is he not? I think he's one of those guys that could easily fill that role. Tomas Ostrak and one of Sam or Nico. I think looking at Klaus as our, preeminent number nine you can say that either one of those guys could slot alongside of him in the best 11 and so that leaves one other so that's four maybe five players at most who would not be considered the absolute best 11 that's not bad and you would think that a midfield of Leuven and Blom would be able to control the what what Vancouver has to offer and especially with Blom out there working with Parker and Yarrow to mitigate some of what Ryan Gold and Brian White could do just like we expected, those were the two guys who controlled a lot of their chances. They they led the front line. They were they were together. They were pushing. They were pressing high. They were stretching the line, and they were pulling people wide. They were creating chances. And I just felt like City never really got comfortable within themselves in their counterattack. They didn't get comfortable in themselves on uh, creating chances from their defense like they usually do. Not even necessarily counterattacks, but just putting the ball... Uh, moving the ball quickly uh, in in into the midfield area. I was kind of disappointed in the way that City answered what Vancouver had to offer. Yeah, so I think part of it, and maybe this was just my impression, but uh, I they never got comfortable with the turf. Uh, like they, they, they missed uh, some easy passes, and uh, I don't know if it was like the speed of the turf or the way it bounce or maybe both but uh there were a few plays where you could tell oh yeah this is this is a torp like uh at like a first 10 minutes uh, a clearance from parker that um that was uh that was really bad and uh, yes and almost uh resulting in a goal from from brian from brian white uh, and there were a few of those that 
that it felt like, um, okay, this is not uh, the best situation and they are not comfortable playing in, in the turf. And back to the starting 11, um, while you were going through, I was like, well, there have been so many rotations and a lot of these guys have so many minutes that at what point it is a rotation or is rotation, you know? Right. And I, before the game, that's kind of the comment I was thinking is I, I don't necessarily have an answer to our best 11, but I have a best 14 or 15 that I could slot in if I'm looking for an optimal lineup, whether I need to do a diamond, a flat four, four, two, four, two, three, one, whatever it ends up being that I think would match up better. I could come up with a, a somebody out of this top 14 or 15 between the back line and the attack. And so I wasn't disappointed in this. I was expecting Lunt to get a start. This was his, we, t- we talked that this would have been his last opportunity to see MLS action uh, unless an unforeseen circumstance occurs. But we, he had that opportunity. He, he performed well. So we, I, we have some stats we'll talk to at the end, but I felt Lunt didn't do anything to lose us this game. I, I thought that he had some saves on the opportunities where you would expect him to make saves, some some saves where he maybe you wouldn't expect him to make saves. But I felt our defense put him in a bad position in a lot of these cases. So do you want to get into the game flow? Let's do it. All right. You're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. We are Flyover Footy. Thank you for joining us for this recap of Vancouver and look ahead to where City goes from here over the next couple of weeks. Santi, the first half was boring to say the least i think there was a there was a lack of intensity that came out like we said about city and it's personified by the xg xg is a fun stat that we always love to look at and it doesn't entirely tell this full story you have to really understand um and city has always overperformed their xg and so it's it's a useful guide but you look at the xg in the first half of this game vancouver 0.32 st louis 0.02. 0.02. The shots were 8-1 to one in favor of Vancouver. The only shot on target, though, was St. Louis's 32-minute header by Nico Joachini. But other than that, I didn't see a whole lot of threats on either side of the ball. This was a very back-and-forth. I personally thought it was a kind of a defensive, a strong defensive effort by City. It was very, it was played on very fine margins because Josh Yarrow, for instance, he got a lot of um, he, he was hit hard by some comments on his overall performance, but I really thought that Yarrow did not have a bad first half. I thought that the margins were fine in, on his tackles, on Nerwinski's tackles, on positioning between Parker and Yarrow, especially you mentioned Anthony Marcanic pushing high a lot, which took, which put a lot of extra stress on those three and they needed to do certain things. And they did those certain things to keep the clean sheet. If you look back on what that first half was, I felt it would be unduly harsh to say that it was a bad defensive effort. But on the flip side, it was a bad offensive effort. It, when, you, when you get one shot and it was one shot on goal off of a header with a .02 XG, I don't care what kind of, I don't care how big of a fan you are of XG, those are terrible stats. We didn't do anything in the first half. We couldn't stretch the field. We couldn't. We couldn't claim anything in the final third. We were getting passes into the final third, but Vancouver was just clearing everything out. We had no real opportunity to put pressure on Vancouver's back line to the point where we were able to get numbers into the attacking third, and that was pretty obvious. Yeah, Vancouver uh, did a great job at keeping the ball on City's half of the field. And um, 
like you can see that on on the XG XG and the shots created. Uh, when I when the first half ended, I I saw uh, the stat on on the screen. I was like zero point zero five. Yeah, that was the the whole story of of the first half. Um, but to your point, yeah, good defensive effort. Like yeah, Vancouver uh, kept the ball on City's half a lot, but uh, but didn't create clear chances. And um, at at halftime, it looked like a like things were going well for for city for city even the second half was a good start uh, for city in my opinion yeah the second half i felt was highlighted by the fact that we had an immediate substitute with az coming in for tomas ostrock that made an immediate impact immediate difference maker in creating some chances and applying more pressure i thought az did what we always expect and always see az do he's running all over the field he's putting additional pressure into the back line and trying to do the high pressing that we typically do. He's able to do that effectively in multiple areas of the field, whether you're putting him on the left side, the, the middle. And, and I felt he gave us a few extra chances, especially early in the second half that we had seen none of in the first um, turf or not, no turf. I know there's a lot of comments about did that, did that hinder us in some of our past connections uh, was was it just an uncomfortability, unfamiliarity? And we know that City, at least from what we saw last week, trained on grass. They didn't, I didn't add that I know of any specific training on the turf fields at the City Park Training Center. And so they are used to these are professional soccer players. You know, they know what turf is. They have that experience in their lives. But when you're when you're dealing with a uh, a one off, basically from what you're used to, it's going to make a difference in some of those timings. And of all the teams, I think you'll look to St. Louis City thrives on timing. We talked to Jake Norwinski last week about the just implicit understanding of where certain people are going to be. And that plays a factor with the ball on the ground just as much as it does with the crosses in the air. They have to know that a weighted ball is going to arrive to a certain player at a certain time. And, and that ended up being an issue in both halves um, that you you can't really do much about that as far as your fitness or pressing when it comes down to connecting some of those passes, it is what it is. But I did think that early on in the second half, there were two difference makers before the goal. There was the Andres Kubas injury at, at the 49 minute mark where Sebastian Burhalter came in for him, which ended up being one of the difference makers. And then I, I think in my opinion, our best chance of the game was at 54 minutes. It started with Jake Nerwinski crossing it into the box that was headed out of the box by Vancouver to Anthony Markanic. Markanic played it over to AZ wide left. AZ kept the ball from two defenders, and this was probably his key moment of the game where he was able to protect the ball amidst two defensemen. He played the ball through into the box after retaining that, got into the left channel of the box, passed the ball over to Jared Stroud. Jared Stroud was sitting in that position, if you remember, Alan Polito did in the Sporting KC game where he was just ready in the box waiting for everybody else to clear out. And Jared Stroud found his opportunity. Unfortunately, it was blocked and deflected over to Nico Joachini. And there was that moment where I think there was, there was a, a hint of, is this going to be a PK? But Joachini kind of hit the ball off his chest on the ground. And in his wind up with his leg, ended up kicking the leg of uh, Javane Brown. And I believe they called a foul on that, but nothing came of it at that point. There was no PK, no VAR review. And seemed like Brown had the ball and they gave it to him. So that was an unfortunate end to the sequence that I felt had the most promise. But 
in and of itself, if that's the sequence that has the most promise, you have a problem. Yeah, that one and uh, the shot at 47 or 46 by AC Jackson, that could have changed the game. Um, but yeah, I think those were the, the two highlights um, for City. Had Jackson score on that on that play, I think um, the game will have been different. And I think uh, you mentioned the the into um, Andres Cubas. Um, City started really well, like those first two three minutes before his injury, and and then it took like four or five minutes uh, for him to get looked at and uh, for the substitution to be made. And um, I felt like City lost some moment there. As we get into the three goals that happened, one of the things that I think is is nice to keep in mind is what happened at the League's Cup. Um, if you remember back to the matches, Columbus and Club America, we seemed out of sorts. We seemed like we hit a, we hit a moment in the season where it's like, okay, we're, we, we need a little bit of a breather. We need kind of a reset button. We need to just mentally clear our heads for what's left to come. Um, after, after those moments in the League's Cup matches, it, it, was, it was a rough go, some individual mistakes. And when we started back up in league play in MLS, things were cooking. Things were, things were really firing on all cylinders. And that's, to me, what to look forward to because in these goals, you're having individual mistakes by Leuven, by Yarrow, and, and just a lot, of, a lot of spacing issues, not a lot of communication. It all started in the 58th minute with Brian White from uh, Renko uh, Veselinovic where Leuven had received a pass in the middle from the left wing just past midfield. He had plenty of space, and he was carrying the ball a good 30 yards himself before that space closed up just outside the penalty box. He was taken down and dispossessed by Richie Larea. The ball rolls to Ranko in a crowded penalty box, and he just clears it out. It just seems harmless. He clears it out. No real threat to me. But as we're watching it on, on the video, the camera all of a sudden pans to midfield, where you can tell, and you might need to replay this a couple times, but you can tell it's just Parker and Yarrow both on the attacking side of the half line, and the ball's just bouncing to Yarrow harmlessly, but Yarrow's letting the ball play him, and that's that's the big issue with this. There's the Leuven issue to start, but then it's Yarrow who takes a step back, sort of, and he tries to lower his head to head the ball away, and Brian White just runs in from the wing, runs in front of him, gathers the ball. He's got an easy breakaway to beat Ben Lute for a one nothing lead for Vancouver yeah Jarrow um just um instead of kicking the ball just waited for it and uh Brian White read the play really well I think knowing um the field and the turf uh, was also part of it and um yeah he uh, he won that ball and and then he was able to to put it away but I felt like up to that moment like uh Vancouver wasn't being as as dangerous and creating as many many uh, like half chances let's call them as as they mm -hmm. did on the first half but that definitely uh, opened things up yeah and you do have to wonder if the turf on that bounce did play a factor where Yarrow was expecting the ball to skip a little bit quicker and and he wasn't able to to judge the ball's trajectory and speed whereas Brian White was much more accustomed to that so that that does have to be a factor that has to be said after that goal at 58, you're seeing subs try to make a difference. You have Klaus in for Deneron at 63. You have uh, Indiana Vasilev and Nukvi Thorson in for Jared Stroud and Nico Joachini at 71. We have Celio Pompeu come in for Jabu Blom. So we're talking almost wholesale changes for City between the first and second goals. There's about a 24-minute gap between the goals. 
And then 82 minutes happen. It's Sebastian Berhalter from Ryan Gold, where Vancouver had played the ball back to their keeper, who cleared it to midfield. Parker plays a 50-50 ball into the St. Louis defensive half. So he he goes up, he kind of wins the ball, plays it into the defensive half near Nerwinski, but it's collected by Vancouver. And as this happens, Tim Parker goes down. Can't tell if it's because he landed rough, can't tell if it's because he took a hit when he went up for the 50-50, but he stayed down that entire sequence. Vancouver collected the ball on their left, played it over to the right channel with Rick, Richie Larea, crossed it in from the right channel to Brian White in front of net. But Jake Nowinski, actually, this is one of the examples of playing him very well for a very perfectly timed tackle to clear the ball out. Unfortunately, when the ball was cleared out, it was right back to Richie Larea in the right channel. He played it back to Brian White and then up centrally to Sebastian Burhalter. St. Louis couldn't cover that ground, and you have to really believe that it was attributable to Tim Parker not being a part of that play, uh, feeling the, the remnants of that, that duel that got him. And without being able to cover the space, the ball got between Indiana Vasilev and Edu Leuven, and Sebastian Burhalter just made it 2-0 with a relatively clear shot to goal. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if uh, um, his vision was uh, like maybe somebody was on his way. Um, but when when I initially when I saw, it, I was like, oh, Lund is gonna get that one, but uh, maybe um, he reacted too late. Maybe he couldn't see it, and it was a good shot too. But but that to me, that kind of ended the game. It's still some time, but but um, seeing doing much offensively anyway. Yeah, and the third goal came after another couple of Vancouver subs, but we're talking the dying minutes of stoppage here where it was pretty clear that City wasn't going to come back, and Vancouver just pounced. Um, 90 plus 6, Richie Larea from Sam Atacungbe. Started with, the, and Sam was a recent sub too, so he had come in uh, just there recently, uh, right before Difference Maker in what he ended up doing because the play started with Ben Lunt. Ben Lute played the ball from goal, rolled the ball through traffic. This was an interesting distribution that Lute did. It looked like he was passing to Nukvi Thorson. Thorson played it to Leuven really quickly. While they were still in St. Louis's defensive half, Leuven on St. Louis's left uh, was Sam Adekube, dis- dispossessing Leuven after Pedro Vite, another sub, came in and kind of did a two-on-one. They were getting an overload on Leuven. When Adekube was able to clear the ball from Leuven, it landed centrally to Richie Larea. Larea carried the ball into the attacking third, played it into the right channel for Junior Holette, and Sam Ad- Sam Adekumbe was in this transition as well. City only had Parker and Yarrow just inside the channels in the penalty box. Jake Nerwinski was far defending. Indiana Vasilev was defending at the six. Leuven was still tracking back after being dispossessed, and Adekumbe played a perfect pass to Richie Larea right in between Indy and Leuven again, and Larea positioned himself perfectly. Another central shot that got past Leuven or got past Lunt rather. And that kind of finished it off. It was, it was over after that one, three, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just um, one more goal at that point. Uh, we knew that the game was, was over and yeah, just start thinking about Seattle. I know that the team is going to take a few days off, but uh, just uh, one of those games that you want to uh, maybe take um, some things from it and just uh, leave it behind you and get ready for the next one. And um, to me, uh, just thinking about the whole season, I don't recall a game like this. Like, yeah, there were a couple of losses um, against LAFC and Seattle, but this game wasn't 
similar to those uh, in those yeah. the team was more competitive but this one uh, i felt like um, the team just wasn't there and um that happens uh, it's a long season and um, i would rather have that game now than going into a playoffs like uh, at a peak where maybe you get there and you are still undefeated um it, i think it's good to have that lost uh, before the playoffs and before this break and, and you can uh, just regroup and um and learn from those mistakes and be ready for the playoffs. yeah and bradley carnell said the exact same thing he felt like because there was a question post game of do you feel like this was similar to seattle at lafc the three nothing losses earlier in the year carnell shut that down immediately and he said he said he felt that no there's zero comparisons from this game to lafc and seattle he felt like both of those games are very good games for the team where they competed and they they held their own for large portions of the game and compared to this game here he didn't really see many positives at all in this game but there are lessons learned right so you know you know turf is a factor okay so you know some of the spacing issues that we had some of the aggressive issues being dispossessed Leuven a couple times uh some of the defensive lapses maybe in our center back areas so there are things to learn but kind of moving on from this game you carnell only made the comparison to real salt lake at home when we just did not look like ourselves either it was a 3-1 loss I, th- I believe that was a midweek match uh, yeah. right before our trip to San Jose, actually, um, where it just didn't look like us. And the the other silver lining to this is looking back at what happened after that Salt Lake game. So whether consciously or subconsciously, Bradley Carnell made he said the right things to really console City fans of this was a this was a rough loss. You just want to move past it as quick as possible. But if you compare it to one game this year where that had some really positive um, follow-ups to it, it's got to be the RSL game where we went yeah. on the run after that. We beat San Jose 2-1. We beat Colorado 2-0. We beat Toronto 1-0. And then even after the LAFC loss where Carnell called it a good loss, we bounced back and beat Miami. This team's good at bouncing back. This team doesn't go on losing streaks. And so whether it's Seattle or the playoffs ahead, this is a team that is good at learning off from their mistakes. They're good at at identifying what caused the issues and remedying them. And so now the team has two and a half weeks to sit with with this concept of we let ourselves be embarrassed, so to speak, in Vancouver. We didn't play like we know we were capable of, and we have a little chip on our shoulder now. It's it's nice from a few perspectives to not only not only learn from what actually caused the issues on the field, but now you kind of have something to prove, so so to speak. You're bouncing back as we sh- we need to show that we deserve this first place conference win. We're going to finish strong. We're going to carry a win into the playoffs, and and that's a that's a powerful thing to have with a couple weeks rest is to know that you've got this kind of eating at you of you want to come out strong and prove what you're capable of against Seattle. Yeah, definitely having something to to play for um, against Seattle. I think it'll be it'll be good for the team. It will end the season. On a high note, um, hopefully playing uh, the best eleven or something close to that, um, because there will be a not only that record um, for most points, it could also set the record for, for uh, most wins at home by an expansion team, uh, which currently tied with Atlanta United. And and going on a high note at the end of the the regular season, just before that postseason match uh, 
a week later, maybe a week plus later, yep. since uh, we also saw when that game could be. Uh, I think it'll be good. It'll be good, and the the team will take a good opportunity out of uh, this two and a half week break. So let's look ahead, Santi. You're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. We're Flyover Footy. Thank you for joining us as we now move from Vancouver into what's next ahead. So we we know Vancouver clinched a playoff spot with this victory. They moved to 12-10-10, 46 points after 32 games. They play again this coming weekend against Seattle. St. Louis, however, we remain first in the conference. We're going to finish first in the conference. Our record, though, falls to 17-11-5 with 56 points after 33 games, one remaining. The expansion record remains 57 points with LAFC. Santi mentioned the expansion record for wins is with Atlanta United. And St. Louis is looking to secure a portion or more of those records. And so the next match that St. Louis will play is on October 21st against the Seattle Sounders at home at City Park. We look in the next couple of weeks. We wanted to take one thing out of Vancouver, and that was a healthy team. And it seems like we succeeded in that. Bradley Carnell said post-game that everyone came through the game okay, initially with Tim Parker and Anthony Marcanic being the only yellows, as he called it. And he noted that Tim Parker specifically was just cramping after the game ended. So a little bit of a break. You get him rested up and no problems there. What will St. Louis be doing over the next couple of weeks? Uh, We know that the team has the weekend off. So Thursday, as we're recording this for our podcast, they were having a travel day. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are all off days. And then they look to begin training next week. Uh, They have an intra-squad scrimmage planned for October 14th that may pull in some City 2 and Academy players. It will not involve other MLS teams, and it is scheduled to be closed door. So that's that's the match readiness that City will look forward to as they start to keep on um, on their their itinerary, so to speak. So they they make sure that they have somewhat of a competitive match or they get the game-type minutes in next week in anticipation for their October 21st return to play against the Seattle Sounders. Now, Santi, in the next weekend, we have some interesting things to watch as City fans to know what's ahead for us beyond Seattle. Because even though we don't have a game, plenty of MLS teams are in action this coming weekend Um, including those who have either qualified for the playoffs or are still fighting for their playoff lives, while really no playoff seating has been determined or secured outside of St. Louis City. So this week on Wednesday, Seattle, LAFC, Real Salt Lake, Vancouver, and Houston all qualified for the MLS Cup playoffs, with City having to clinch the number one spot. And all eyes in St. Louis now have to turn to the fight for the eighth and ninth spots in the playoffs. We look way ahead. That wild card match between those eight and ninth seeded teams is going to be October 25th and 26th, with City expect, expected to play their first match in the playoffs against that winner somewhere between October 29th and November 1st. Seems like spooky season is here as City has announced <laughs> that in the in the range of Halloween is going to be our first game, meaning it will unfortunately not be a Saturday, but it may be Sunday, Monday, hopefully not Halloween, but maybe Wednesday. Yeah, I was a little disappointed when when I saw that. Uh, obviously, not having the game on on Saturday, and, and yeah, City Park will still be uh, sold out, and the environment will be great. But uh, but my my only thing is Sunday is great, but then if you have it like a during a like on a weekday, um, and as I said, it will still be sold out full. But uh, I think some people change their plans just because. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
work schedule, school nights, and things like that. But uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that first uh, playoff match at City Park. Maybe a Halloween match. It may be a Halloween match. It's fun, and we'll talk more about the the playoff ticket information in our wind down on our podcast. But I, we've heard that about I think the number was ninety six percent of season ticket holders have opted in for their playoff seats. So that has to be a good sign that they're willing to follow the team no matter where and when they play. Got to be good news for support on a potential Saturday or potential Sunday, Monday, maybe even a Tuesday match. But looking also at deeper into the standings and schedules, who who should we watch for this weekend? That's kind of what I want to make sure people know and, and what you and I are going to be watching for um, in things that could impact City. So we look at the table. We look at who is where in the MLS standings right now. And besides City, you could look at LAFC. You could look at Real Salt Lake. You could look at Seattle because all three of those teams are two, three, and four sitting at 49 points for Seattle, 48 points for LAFC, and 46 for Salt Lake. But since we're focusing on these eight and nines, I want to kind of look at everybody else and the more likely teams that we're going to face. Uh, We do need to watch for who's going to finish eight and nine. That's going to be our first round opponent is the winner of that wild card match. And so we look at teams like Vancouver, Houston, Portland, San Jose, Dallas, Austin, Sporting Kansas City, and Minnesota, who round out five through 12, all are still right there, able to make the jump in the next couple of games. Every single team has two games remaining, except for Dallas, who had their midweek game this past week postponed against Colorado due to inclement weather. So we were talking before the pod of have they rescheduled that? And at the time of recording, no, they haven't. So Dallas still has three matches to play. They're sitting at 41 points in ninth place. Seems like they're pretty able to control their own destiny a little bit more. So going into this weekend, what matches can we look for and what is going to be of the most interest to City fans? Santi, I think we've both got this one circled and it's FC Dallas against the San Jose Earthquakes. Two teams that are in the eight and nine positions right now playing against each other. Both of them have a fairly favorable schedule for the decision day matchup. But if you're looking at, at opponents for this coming weekend, I've got that one circled. Um, some of the other matches occurring, Vancouver, who is in the fifth spot, faces Seattle in Seattle. Houston Dynamo in the sixth spot. They welcome Colorado Rapids, which is a fairly easy matchup for them. Portland Timbers have to go to Montreal. And then of the teams looking on the outside looking in, you have Austin FC, who welcomes LAFC. That's a difficult match for them. Sporting Kansas City goes to Real Salt Lake, a difficult match for them. And Minnesota United welcomes the LA Galaxy, somewhat of a favorable matchup. So are there any of those other matchups that interest you this weekend to keep an eye on as it pertains to City's opponent in the first round? So definitely... uh... We also leg against Kansas because depending on the result, Kansas will get um, eliminated or um, keep alive their, their chances to to qualify. And also um, just thinking about the possible opponent that Montreal against Portland Timbers game uh, could also have some implications mm-hmm. for um, who could be City's opponent. Montreal... Uh, it's in the in the ninth position in the Eastern Conference, so uh, for them it's an important game too. And mm-hmm. should they win that game, now uh, Portland could will probably go down in the standings. Uh, uh, but that San Jose against Dallas game, 
the winner, I think, um, and maybe not mathematically, but I think and will be in the playoffs for sure. And it could be a game that could repeat itself uh, when when the standings uh, are over, when when the when all games are over on the twenty first, and they could end up eight and nine, repeat that that game again to uh, decide who's going to play against City. I, I believe you're right. If San Jose beats FC Dallas, they will mathematically secure their position in the MLS Cup playoffs. Looking at the numbers, it, it with one match remaining after that, they'll have 45 points and they'll be unable to fall below the line because Austin, Kansas City, and Minnesota, who sit 10, 11, and 12, all are on 38 points. Mm, yeah. And they all have played 32 matches. So if if San Jose beats Dallas, they are in, and Dallas is a bubble team again. Uh, but you're right. If you're looking at other games to keep an eye on, Austin, LAFC, Sporting Kansas City, Real Salt Lake, Minnesota, LA Galaxy, if both LA teams and Real Salt Lake win, that should knock out all three of those teams. I, I believe, unless there's a tiebreaker that they could come up with with Dallas. But uh, the scenario I'm looking at too is if Dallas wins or Dallas draws and gains a point, then uh, a loss by Austin, Kansas City, and Minnesota will mathematically eliminate them. So fun things to watch for as far as uh, potential to see our neighbors from Kansas lose their opportunity and miss the playoffs for the second year in a row. First time they will have done that since 2007. As you recall, we talked about a couple weeks ago. Santi, anything else you want to talk about with these teams and what to watch this weekend? So the, I want to point out, like Galaxy, even though they are uh, like, way down there on the 13th position with 35 points they have so yep. um depending on how things go for them and some of these games are against duration like they play minnesota i think whoever loses the game um, is out uh by la wins then they have a uh, real Salt lake and they have dallas on decision yeah. day so they still have chance uh to make it um this is so tight so um i'm looking forward to to seeing how uh saturday will shake out and who will still be in or maybe out uh but uh but yeah we're just gonna sit and watch since um city is on a break that's the thing about these conference uh as we as we ramp up the race to the finish is the western conference beats up on its on itself and each other an awful lot that the reason that these teams are so tightly contested is because they have so many back and forths between each other. And this these last two weeks highlight that, where you're talking about Kansas City playing RSL and then Minnesota. Minnesota also fighting with SKC. So decision day is going to come down to an awful lot if they're all still in contention. Whereas in the East, they're top heavy. A lot of their, their top five or so teams, uh, they crush the bottom section of their, their conference. You're talking about a 65, 57, 54, 53 points compared to 22, 33, and 36 at the bottom. I mean, they, they, they are really good teams at the top of the East, but there are pretty good top-to-bottom teams in the West that is going to make for an interesting playoff. I'll tell you that, Santi. Yeah, we're going to have to wait until the 21st to uh, find out who's going to be 8 and who's going to be 9, but... Um... But for now, we're, we're just sit and enjoy these games and maybe study some of the possible opponents. That's right. And if you're listening to us on Big 550K TRS, that's all for us. If you're listening to us on the podcast, stay tuned for our wind down. And if you're listening to us on KTRS, tune into our podcast for our wind down where we're going to have a special guest, 
Um, Oscar Rojas is going to be joining us. And so that'll be fun to talk to him and look at some other subjects, including our first ever ticket giveaway. I want to tease this on the Big 550 KTRS. Tune into our podcast and watch our socials because we're going to have more on how you could possibly win two tickets to the decision day matchup between the Seattle Sounders and St. Louis City SC. For Santiago Beltran, my name is Matt Baker. We're Flyover Footy. Thanks for joining us on the Big 550 KTRS and have a good evening. Vamos City. Welcome back to the wind down. I don't think it quite has the same ring to it when I do it versus <laughs> Phil, but I, Phil has a silky smooth voice that I just can't match. Oh, well. Hey, but you had a Parker beer. I do. Yeah. It didn't do any good last night. I had one, uh, one for the game and it definitely didn't help. So kind of, uh, take a little more relaxed vibe, but, um, if you caught the tease there at the back half of our KTRS portion, we do have a ticket giveaway. Uh, very exciting. Uh, first ever ticket giveaway that we've done. We've done a, a soccer ball giveaway before, and that was kind of well-received. We have a couple more things planned for the offseason. But this is in partnership with a very generous listener. I don't really have much more to say. He kind of just wanted to remain anonymous and, and put this out there. Really, really good dude. Really good thing. Two tickets to Decision Day Seattle Sounders that we have to give away here at Flyover Footy. And it's going to be basically an easy entrance. So with history on the line, City able to set the all-time expansion team points record with a win. We have two tickets to give away. The giveaway is going to be on Twitter and Instagram. I guess X and Instagram. God, I hate that. X. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to have multiple posts over the next week. Um, each post is going to begin with ticket giveaway. So you kind of know what the, what the topic is and then provide details on how to enter on each one of those posts. If you forget when I say this now, don't worry, we'll include the info on Instagram and X. Um, but it'll be fairly simple. All you have to do is like the post and comment under the post with who do you want to see score a goal against Seattle? And also because we love to support local charitable causes, uh, one of the things that I worked with, with our anonymous donor is you can receive an additional entry if you tell us that you donated to a local nonprofit of your choosing. Uh, I'm going to provide some links on our Flyover Footy account of some of the many in St. Louis that uh, we've donated to and that we support and have worked with with causes uh, from like the Luligans and some other supporters. But I'm going to leave it up to up to you all on who you want to donate to. And it's the honor system. I'm not asking for a receipt. I'm not asking for a dollar amount. I'm just saying let us know that you donated to somebody. If you want to let us know who it is, that's great. I'm sure all of these causes would love the publicity and love the support, um, but it's up to you. Honor system. So like the post, comment about who you think is going to score a goal and whether you've donated or not. And if you if you do all those things, you get two entries. Um, and then each one of the posts, you can't, you can't do four entries or anything like that. So once you do uh, a like and a comment and a donate, then you're entered twice. And we'll do the drawing probably, I'm thinking, next Thursday on our on our show. We don't want to take a week off from flyover, so we'll figure stuff to talk about tomorrow, or next week, rather. So we'll do the drawing. That way you'll know ahead of time uh, if you've got the tickets and we can get it over. All that good stuff. So a lot of fun. Very excited for it. Have more information on socials. I'll put a couple posts out tomorrow on Friday as we're recording this for Instagram and X. And if you guys have any questions, feel free to DM the Flyover account or myself personally, Matt Baker STL, 
happy to answer everything because it's a fun thing. And I think, uh, I think it could get a lot of excitement going to amplify a little bit more for decision day. And it's going to be an exciting game too. Uh, Oh man. Lots of of things on the line. I I think we did a pretty good job in the earlier part of saying what is, what all is at stake? We're talking expansion team wins record. We're talking expansion team points record, uh, just getting extra momentum going into the playoffs. And if, if anything, also we could probably do some harm to Seattle, which I don't think any of us wouldn't mind doing in their (laughs) fight for their playoff (laughs) seating. So a loss to Seattle kind of p- will probably knock them down a peg or two when it comes to LAFC or Salt Lake. That just adds fuel to the fire. Good times all around. So Santi, I'm going to let you take it from here. Um, we've got a fun special guest for the wind down this week. Yeah, yeah. So we have a, we have a guest um, this week, a, a new guest. We have Oscar Rojas. This will be Oscar's uh, first time on the pod. So Oscar, uh, why don't you... Tell us um, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, thanks, guys, for having me. Uh, this is very exciting uh, for me. Uh, about about myself, uh, I from come from Colombia, um, originally from Colombia. Now, obviously, living in St. Louis, uh, probably thirteen years or so now. Um, very excited like everybody else to be part of this St. Louis city fan base and, and creating memories and, and passion as we doing. Um, what I like to say about myself is like, I came here to the country to play soccer and study and I accomplished both to a certain point. I wanted to be professional and need to make it. Uh, but I keep studying to now help the ones that they want to make it. I do do it on the side. That's kind of like my fun fact is that I work as an agent. Um, I have a current um, client playing in the NWSL. So it's very exciting. It's just small things that slowly trickle into the soccer world and, and my passion that it has been always soccer, watch soccer, leave soccer, play soccer. So. That's basically about me. And then in the personal stage, uh, I have a, a family. I have two kids. My wife, they're from here, from St. Charles. So, Great, Oscar. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we also uh, ha- we also want to ask you, uh, we, we covered uh, a little bit of the game last night, but uh, we want your impressions about last night's game. <laughs> so, I don't know. It was funny. We were kind of like, commenting on X a little bit. I commented on, on Matt earlier uh, this morning or last night. Uh, but now, a, if you don't mind real quick, I was going to say, this is the perfect example of, of how a simple misunderstanding on X can potentially lead to, to a, a, a animosity or uh, something like that. But X can be a dangerous platform. Twitter can be yes. a dangerous platform there. You gotta, you gotta, just remember that there are words on the keyboard and you don't know tone, you don't know connotation, you don't know inflection. And so, right. so yeah, I, I, made a, I made a comment about like, uh, I think it was the first half or the second half or something last night. And, and you replied to me or something. And uh, I, I think it was like, I don't know, 12. Yeah, 30. it was like, it didn't age well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because you were, you were like, hey, like first half we were doing so great. And I was like, yeah, it didn't age well because our defense just fell apart in the second half. Yeah. But- and I read it, and I read it, and I'm like, what do you mean my take didn't age well? 
I was like, it was a take on the first half. How can a t- first half take eight? Nine? And so, yeah. and so I was like, I was like, what do you mean? And then I read it with fresh eyes this morning and I'm like, wow, I sounded like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Like, I mean, and I have, I have, I've been very participant lately on X and like put a lot of comments and obviously just, I, I put my input and I put my opinion and then some people get out of rage and, saying things and it's just like okay i'm not gonna fight with you it's right, just right like that was my opinion i wanted to air it out and that's it like it just feels good but i'm not gonna get in an argument with someone else that i don't know just because you don't share my opinion yeah so most people and even in the st louis fan base won't share opinions it's okay we don't have yeah. to agree we all just support our club we can do it in different ways we can have different opinions everybody sees the game differently but uh, did, I mean, you heard some of our takes on uh, on Vancouver. Did did you see anything positive from that game? Uh, it's kind of hard to find something. I think um, the defenders in the first half were were a good take. It's something good that the team did, especially because they're not the normal four that they will start. Well, they were actually three out of the four that they were starting normally. But uh, bringing Jaro back. Um, Goalkeeping, I, I, I've seen a lot of things in social media complain about goalkeeping. I think he did an excellent job. Um, I don't think he made any mistake that you will say, like, oh, that's your fault. We were losing the game because of your fault. I don't think Lon didn't do anything wrong. But it clearly lack of some spice. Like, the team didn't have that spice that he always has. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's definitely because... We qualify, we clinch, we first place, we guarantee home home, home field advantage, and they didn't want to push anything extra on the turf. That for me, that's that's another topic that for me is funny because the turf, I I don't care about the turf. Uh, a lot of people play in turf. A lot of these players, if they came out of college and they came out of high schools, they all play in turf when they were growing up. So. It doesn't doesn't really make a difference. You're a professional. You should be able to play in anything. I know there are scares a little bit of the injury, be more propensed to injuries, but you grew up most likely playing on those turfs, and it shouldn't be an excuse for not performing. What I think it was a little different is like the width of the field. I was trying to find the width of City Park, but I couldn't find it anywhere. But I believe the one in Vancouver was the max dimensions of the width, so that changes a little bit. So that makes sense, given the like the multi-use purpose of their stadium. Mm-hmm. That that makes sense. All right. Yeah. And yeah, go ahead. No, I, I mean that's that's kind of what we probably I think alluded to is just the fact that they're. We're a few takeaways, but end of the day, you move forward. You don't need to dwell too much on that. And now we look forward to a couple weeks of kind of just watching on the sidelines and enjoying some international games as we get ready for Seattle. So are you... Uh, well, you say enjoying. We will suffer, but... Oh, that's fair. <laughs> I was, I was going to say. <laughs> we we don't enjoy the international breaks. We suffer them, but but it, it's, a fun, it's a fun time, though. I think the way to enjoy U.S. games is to stay off of X because <laughs> whew, that USMNT. Oof, yeah. Oof. That's dangerous. Yes. 
Yeah, that's dangerous. And Giorena himself was named to the U.S. roster. So I saw that. Ah, that's an extra reason not to go on social media while you watch those games. Yes. For positive or negative, that's going to be a chaos in, in social media. Right. But guys, there's uh, there are some interesting things to talk about uh, beyond City, I think. Um, City-related, though, MLS end-of-year awards came out this week. They're today, as we're recording on Thursday, actually. And so going through the list of the, the categories, because this is our first year in the league, first year experiencing this, uh, just what are the end-of-the-year awards and what is City's skin in the game? So MLS end-of-year awards are determined by voting from three groups, and they have different categories where players get to be nominated by their clubs. Each club can nominate up to two players per category. So the initial list is pretty big. It can be as big as 58 players, although nothing is quite that big. It's not that outlandish. Uh, Most teams did nominate a player per category, so the the categories are pretty big. Um, The voting happens by... A third of each one of these groups gets gets a vote. So it's a third uh, vote goes from the current MLS players, from the MLS coaches and technical directors, and then from select media members representing local and national outlets who consistently covered the 2023 MLS regular season. So those three groups get equal say on who wins each one of these awards. One thing that I'm... I guess not really surprised about the the names on this list, but I think the categories that they're in is kind of it's it's discussion worthwhile. And so the only MLS MVP nominee by St. Louis is Roman Berkey. Probably no huge shock with that one. MLS goalkeeper of the year nominee, also Roman Berkey, no shock at all on that one. The defender of the year, Tim Parker, is the nominee from St. Louis. Probably not a not a shock on that one either. The newcomer of the year, this is where the best newcomer uh, is defined as a player who had previous professional experience and made his MLS debut in 2023. The nominee from St. Louis is Edu Leuven. The young player of the year nominee, which is an MLS player who is age 22 or younger during the calendar year, and from St. Louis, the nominee is Aziel Jackson. The comeback player of the year who uh, the definition is missed a significant portion of the 2022 season and then shown improved performance to achieve success during the 2023 regular season this one is a little uh, contentious from uh, what santi and i were talking <laughs> earlier <laughs> only for the fact that we're a little it's interesting that this player is eligible and the nominee from st louis is joachim nilsson before we go to the next few the nominees Let's touch on how Joachim Nielsen can be nominated for an MLS Comeback Player of the Year when he didn't play in MLS prior to this season. The best I have on this is the specific verbiage that MLS says, which, and I quote, honors an MLS player who has overcome a severe injury and or adversity and as a result missed a significant portion of the 2022 season and then shown improved performance to achieve success during the 2023 regular season. It does not say that they missed a significant portion of the MLS 2022 season. It does not say that they achieved success during the 2023 MLS regular season. It just says 2022. It might be implied. Not going to argue that. It might be implied. But he's an MLS player. He missed a significant portion of the 2022 season. And I do think that he's come on to show improved performance to achieve success during the 2023 regular season. Now that I look at it again, uh, I was telling you all, most of 
I just looking at the list quickly, I, I told you this morning that all these other guys were in MLS last year, but uh, yep. actually Santiago Arias from Cincinnati wasn't. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, maybe it, it covers uh, anybody who who um, was out um, in 2022, regardless of, of MLS affiliation. I initially also thought, oh, maybe since he was on MLS Next Pro last year, maybe that counts. But yeah, just mm -hmm. looking at the definition and looking at the list uh, more uh, clearly, I think um, it is um, wherever you were in 2022, if you missed the season, if you came to MLS, um, you could be nominated. Obviously, the winner, I don't think is going to be somebody uh, who was in a, in a different league last year. It has to be someone from MLS. Yeah, and when you have a name like Alan Polito on that list with the success that he's had over a larger portion of the season, I think a player like that's going to take it home. But there are yeah. two other there are two other categories. Um, this one, I think I might be most excited about this one and most passionate about wanting to see St. Louis win this one. It's the Audi Goals Drive Progress Impact Award presented by MLS Works. This award recognizes an MLS player who demonstrates excellence in driving progress in their communities. Their dedication to charitable efforts and social impact work creates sustainable communities, fosters equity inclusions, and enriches the lives of those in need across the U.S. and Canada. The nominee from St. Louis City is Josh Yarrow. I think the I love that. I love that. Uh, I know his his foundation and he's doing uh, great things um, yes. in Ghana. I'm sure some of these other guys uh, are also doing great things um but uh it's great to see uh just jaro recognized for what he's doing outside of soccer and he's a constant supporter of the supporters so i know the the way he fosters work and just being in the community from his josh yaro foundation to just helping out the supporters who help the community he's always there he's always available He's passionate in the in the community to do anything that's called upon him and more. He's often the only St. Louis City player who shows up to certain events like that and in bringing some people taking a leadership role and bringing others to those events. It's he's just a he's the player that I think you can't help but fall in love with. Yeah, when uh when Saint when Estil Santos play against the Punks, uh mm -hmm. that soccer game, Jos Jaro uh, came by. He could um with Ezra Armstrong and with Dita Armstrong, but from the first team, uh, he was there. And, and the, the previous night, uh, the team had play, played a game in Orlando yep. and they got in late. He still showed yep. up and, and supports for, for a little bit. That's awesome. He, he was also, for the record, the only player to show up in the, the winter last year for the Luligan American Outlaw game that was played back in January. So it was, I mean, this is consistent from him from the moment that he joined the club last spring with City 2 through now and as long as he's in St. Louis. So fantastic to see him nominated for that, and we hope he wins. The last category is Coach of the Year. Nothing much more needs said other than Bradley Carnell is our nominee. So with all of those things, with newcomer, MVP, goalkeeper, uh, young player, coach, MLS Works, Oscar, what do you think about these nominees? And are there any that particularly excite you more than others to see St. Louis take it home? Yeah, of course, I would I would put my vote straight up to the MVP and goalkeeper together because uh, Berkey has shown and has closed a lot of mouths in the process 
of saying that St. Louis made a mistake building the team from the goalkeeper down instead of forwards. Um, I think if we didn't have Berkey, we were probably in 11 or 12th place right now, maybe more <laughs> deeper. Uh, I was just telling Santi the other day that just even in the Kansas City game last last weekend, when we were 0-0, he makes two spectacular saves in the second half, and that leads to us to go score a ball in the next five minutes and change the game. Like, we go down 2-0, and that, go- that game is done. Well, Jake Nerwinski so. last week said that exact same thing where – uh, something that doesn't show up as more than a, a goal, say a save or anything regular on the stat sheet, the way it impacts and the way it actually doesn't show up on any score sheet is so huge. And the players know that the impact isn't just in what the stats are, isn't just in what the XGA or any of the, the expected stats are. It's in the, the, the way that he can drive change in this team, the way that he can rally the players, yes. a lot of intrinsic stuff. Yeah, the, the momentum of, of the games, like he he makes a huge changes on those. Like it's not the first time, obviously, with just keep digging on the Kansas City game. Like that Kansas City was giving us a lot of pressure in those moments. And with those two saves, just release some pressure out of them. Say like, come on, push them up. Let's let's go press them now. And we, we found the, the back of the net and when I said piece and then, I mean, what happened? Just get three more goals and done. But I, there was multiple games that he has done that, and I think he deserves just being the MVP of the of the league. Like, and it's it's hard for a goalkeeper to win it. If we think about prizes around the world for MVPs or Ballon d'Or or things like that, no many goalkeepers get them, and and it's sometimes unfair. Like. We have cases of like Gigi Buffon and things with enormous and amazing championships and tournaments and they don't get anything. And I think this will be like a good set for for the goalkeepers to say like, hey, we're here. We can do it. So that's one. Uh, the other one, it's kind of hard to admit for me, is the, the coaching. Uh, at the beginning, you've been a critic of Bradley Carnell's. Then I was at the beginning. I was very <laughs> critic of Carnell, and Santi knows it. Um, I don't like the the multiple rotations that he does. Uh, I I'm not a fan of the big rotations, and I think sometimes it are still unnecessary. Even like it's been shown that some of our first halves are being bad when he has a heavy rotation, not the not the pass game. The past game was something different, but um, and at the beginning of the season, he was struggling with the substitutions. Mm-hmm. He was making substitutions late, or was making the wrong substitutions. It was just something that it was not engaging correctly. But he he changed it, and he, even with making wrong decisions at the beginning or not the best decisions at the beginning, he was still making results. He was still getting wins. He was still getting ties. The team was functioning somehow. And he kept the team on the first place all the way through half of the season. And then he made huge adjustments. Like the 
past four games, every sub that he has made has made a huge impact in the game. And he has win the games in the second half because of it. So that is something that he has improved a lot. And I think it's just hard for me to say, like, I was a big critic of him and now I'm on <laughs> I'm on board with him. Like I'm hundred percent he's doing the things right. Even I would still criticize a little bit the rotations, but I get it. They play a lot of games and they they know their day by day more than we do. They know who's tired, who's not tired, who needs a little rest or not. So I mean, what I'm hearing is your shifting opinion of Bradley Carnell kind of aligns with his the way a lot of people see his growth in that a lot of the things you mentioned were deservedly criticized. We criticized a lot of the substitute decisions, not just in the personnel, but in the timing of and the way he would respond to other teams as opposed to make proactive changes or try to force different things and not react to the way other coaches were were acting in the second half. That that along with getting some players back from injury and just acclimating to his own ability to manage a game has definitely grown and, and evolved as the season has progressed. So I think that's a, if anything, that should be the predominant opinion of the fan base is the games that we lost earlier in the season, by and large, they were second half losses. We, yeah. we failed to react. We failed to respond. We failed to drive the things we needed to, but we've seen noticeable changes in that in the back half of the year. And Bradley Carnell's even mentioned how he's grown just alongside of the team. And as this team has gotten better as an expansion side, he's gotten better as a first year head coach. And so to finish the year, being able to say that you can, you can show a resume of improvement in that way just adds to what I agree should be coach of the year. Yes. Yeah. And hopefully, Sanzi, do you agree? hopefully, yeah, hopefully he will get, um, I was talking uh, um, to some people a week, and um, they mentioned, well, if if Pat Noonan and Zinari get uh, the record for most points uh, by a supporter winner, uh, maybe that will uh, um, that um, on their side. But Cincinnati lost last night, and, and I think it will be very difficult to get that record. So. That's good. Um, but yeah, Carnell and Matt, as you said, he has talked about it, that he has even mentioned, like, yeah, at the beginning, I not always got the substitutions right, but that's part of my development. I have learned from that. And um, that way I become a better coach, a better leader. And uh, um, it has just been a, a great story here in St. Louis, uh, clinching uh, first place in the conference with two games to go and all the records that have been broken with a group of players that a lot of a lot of clubs uh, discarded or didn't give them a lot of minutes weren't important for those clubs and just finding the best out of a lot of a, out of a lot of players that joined St. Louis and uh, last year they weren't having an impact in the league this year they are having an impact with City it just shows um, the great work um, he has done to. Uh, to develop these players, to implement his system and implement the identity of the team. And the players are bought in a little bit more as the season progressed. Like there was always the strong talk at the beginning of, oh, we had a great camp and now we're off to this five win start. So everybody's bought in, everybody's excited. And then as the the bumps in the road happen, the ebbs and flows, 
you really haven't seen anything but a cohesive locker room. And the the couple moments throughout the year where you could say, well, this might have been an issue, like the Sam and Dederon loan, uh, and, and into the summer you see Selmer Pedro as the other possible, what's going on here? Um, you have another example now with City 2 of Owen O'Malley trying to figure out, is that something where they're butting heads? Is, is that more? Is there, is there more to that kind of a thing? Those are those are examples where the Sam Adenaron thing seems to be cleaned up, and it was clearly an, an opportunity, a disagreement on the number of minutes and how he was being used. He's brought back under a more uh, a better circumstance for him to get minutes. Selmer Pedro, he's he's out on loan, so hopefully he'll come back in a better spot. And then you, you see everybody else. So that's th- those are the exceptions to the rule to me, where everybody else in the locker room seems so bought into his philosophy. We're seeing career resurgences from Roman Berkey to Nico Joachini even, only as 22 years old, 23 years old, talking about a career resurgence for him. Um, Indiana Vasilev thriving, whereas others were casting him aside. The story of the land of misfit toys being at Bradley Carnell's disposal reflects just as much on him and his ability to coach up these players who were forgotten or cast aside by others as much as it does on the players who are doing the work on the field. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you have about uh, players um, like Curry Resurgence, uh, and Roman Berkey is definitely an example of that. And I was a little bit on the side when, when he was signed, um, not because of the money, but my concern was he hasn't played in a year or longer. Um, he has been uh, on the bench. Uh, he hasn't played many games, even when he played a few minutes with with CD2, you could see uh, he was rusty. So I was a little bit concerned. I was like, well, I, I hope this works. He he finds that great level that uh, made him an important goalie for um, Borussia Dortmund and also uh, to be uh, in, in the Switzerland uh, team uh, going to World Cups, even though he wasn't a starter. But I had a little bit of concern. But uh, as the games went by, uh, he, he got better and better and better and he has been so important for the team so um i really hope he i don't think he's gonna get the mvp but i think he should be a clear winner of the gold year for sure yeah yeah i know the thing that like cornell and obviously the entire franchise has done well is to build a team around a team not about a player and i Mm -hmm. think that's why what you mentioned like everybody bought the idea is because you don't have that just one piece that you would say, oh, this team needs to work for that piece. No, this team worked for everybody and everybody works for for the team. So any piece that you put into the field, they're doing the same thing and the only one that just left. And even with the rotations, the idea is there. The level is not the same because obviously there's some players there in, in a higher level than the others. That's normal in every team. That's why you have more starter team than than a sub team. But but the idea and the like the hustle that it's it's the the main characteristic of of city is is there for every single player. So and well, and and that that's a good uh, that's a good call out too because you're looking at, at examples exhibits so to speak of twenty plus like twenty five twenty six different starting lineups have have generated the success that city has seen 
ability to rotate through an entire squad where, yeah, you do have like a cream of the crop. You do have like a best dozen plus players that you can really call. If we want to roll out our best, we roll out these guys. You can still win and you have still won with Tomas Ostrock in the lineup with AZ, Indy, any one of those at the 10 with uh, looking at, J- at John Bell, Josh Yarrow on the back line. Kyle Hebert, we won with Johnny Nelson. We went with Kyle Hebert. We went with Anthony Markanik at left back. Like it's just, right. it, it's literally next man up. And that has been proven so much for Bradley Carnell. And it's just more to add to his resume. Yeah, he just improved like the way that he he made it more cohesive through the year. There were some pieces that they were not as in, engaged with the system and he started finding what was the right position, what was the right moment to put them in. Uh, and obviously, the the middle of the season, having two, three new signs, uh, Thor and uh, Markanik, obviously, uh, made a good impact for him. I think they gave him a little extra for his strategies in that moment. And he also, I think, it pushed a little harder for other players that they were maybe relaxing a little bit saying, Hey, I have my position safe now. Like we're not, nobody's challenging me right now. And this too calm and Hey, now you have to challenge again and push, push hard again. So I think that was great for, for them and good management as, as a coach, like finding that everybody has, needs to keep pushing. I wonder if some of these other, uh, categories are strategically designed to try and increase city's chances to win. Like looking at newcomer of the year, for instance, where you look at, you, you want to put, I think you want to put your best player in this who um, you're bringing abroad. And so this is an interesting category because you're looking at, and some of these names should be very familiar because we've played them. Um, I mean, bossy uh, Mateus Bogus from LAFC or from Houston, LAFC respectively, you have um, Daniel from San Jose, the keeper, Evander from Portland. Um, you have you have Lionel Messi, who is nominated for this category. <laughs> I, uh, well, I mean, Sergio Busquets is nominated for that too. Yeah, Sergio yeah, so Busquets <laughs> was the other Miami player nominated. So let's pivot for just a second because there's a lot of like we could go on for days about the the worth of some of these players, like Az Jackson and uh, Tim Parker for young player and for defender, but pivoting away from city for a second, there was a a pretty deep conversation today, Thursday about Messi's nomination for both newcomer of the year and for MVP and the MVP nomination really irked a lot of people in the wrong way. And so I mentioned earlier that the way that these players are nominated, these lists are generated for the awards are just nominations from the club. The club submits names up to two per category. And Miami chose to nominate for their MVP only Messi. And that rubbed people the wrong way because this is an MLS award. And Messi for the 2023 season has played 247 minutes over four games and has one goal and two assists in those four games. I, I don't, this is me speaking, not facts. I don't care if he won them the League's Cup trophy single-handedly. If you're going to tell me that your most valuable player in MLS, where you've played 32 games, has been a player who's played 247 minutes, scored one goal and two assists, then 
you a don't value the true contributors of your team throughout the season, the one or two guys who you believe uh, that that would ha- have made the difference in more of these games than not, but also you're saying that you think that a healthy Messi would have made the difference, whereas without Messi, your team is truly nothing, and you're willing to ride that 247 minutes, one goal to assist, plus the potential that he could offer your team that he showed at a different competition. So I'm thinking, uh, obviously, yeah, the the four games and uh, his goal contributions are very low, but now that I'm thinking about it is when was this submitted? Uh, and I'm asking because maybe if it was three weeks ago when he was before he was healthy, uh, maybe Miami was counting on, okay, he's going to continue uh, racking up goals and assists. By the time it comes out, uh, he will have Miami closer to the playoffs. But obviously things uh, turn a little bit different. Maybe that's the only out that Miami will have. But if this is recent, knowing he was injured, like, don't, don't do that. Don't don't embarrass yourself. And even MLS could have, before publishing <laughs> this list, could have called Miami and say, hey, are you guys sure you want to put Messi here? Like, he's injured. He has only played four games. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, I That's a fair thought. Whoever is voting for this, uh, I, I hope they vote for our players because imagine if he ends up winning just with four four games and um, not a lot of conditions. Yeah. Yeah, I um I hundred percent agree. I think it's very disrespectful to the league and to the Miami squad. Uh it just you play like you say the thirty one, thirty two games already in the season. You don't have to count League's Cup because it's a different competition. Um you have players that they have done good things for your club. Even when they were in last place, they were still doing something good for their club. Uh, the case of um, the goalkeeper, Callagher, he's being called to the national team because he has performed well on the league. That should be one of your MVP nominees. Um, and when you look at the other one, maybe Martinez, but I think Martinez was signed late too, or... Jetlin, like players like that, that they have been the entire season busting their butt off and running hard and working. Even when you were last, like you have to respect those and not just say like, Hey, this guy came and played two games. And now you're going to be MVP just because you have a name. Uh, I don't think that that's right at all. And Santi saying, hopefully nobody votes for him. I think there is, we always be someone, especially the media, that is going to vote for him. <laughs> yeah, that's that's without a doubt. There, there's a, Chris Gebhardt in the chat does make the good point that th- this is likely to be a non non story after today because four games played for non playoff team doesn't matter who it is. That's not worthy of a nomination, much less even being considered goat or not. And, and I think that's where you go from here. It's This is more a commentary on Miami. And, and Santi, you probably have the glass half full view of when they submitted this, hoping that it would be 
uh, viewed more favorably because they would be surging into the playoff picture. Messi would have double-digit goals at this point in five games played, healthy, full 90 in all of them, and it has not worked out. And so the flip side is Miami's getting dragged because of their attempt to nominate this type of this player. And and I don't I this doesn't have anything to do with Messi as a player. This has to do with a player who has played four games and has scored one goal, two assists, and you're saying this is our most valuable player in MLS. And he hasn't proven that, and so you don't value yourself as a true top team. You're just saying of all of the players, we're nothing without Messi. And because Messi's been injured, we're nothing. And that's the argument yeah. that they have to stand with right now because he's their nominee. Yes. The other thing with Messi, so pivoting a little bit away from the awards, is this week the Chicago Fire hosted Inter-Miami, and they sold out Soldier Field. 60,000. 60,000. However, they sold out Soldier Field with the obvious caveat that nobody came to see the Chicago Fire. Heck, nobody came to see Inter-Miami. People came to see the person that they came to see in League's Cup, Lionel Messi, and he was hurt. And so what did the Chicago Fire do? This is the big discussion this week. They didn't just let the fans come and have a good time and put on a little bit of an extra show before and at halftime. They said they released a, a, a press release saying, quote, to show our appreciation. And this is after they, they said they realized many may be coming to uh, Soldier Field for the first time. And they realized they may be disappointed because we don't know Messi's availability. He ended up not playing, obviously. But they said to show our appreciation, the Chicago Fire will be offering a $250 account credit towards new memberships for 2024 or a $50 account credit for anyone unable to use the new member credit to all single game ticket buyers who attended our match against Inter Miami, regardless of which players are able to make an appearance on the pitch. This is the first time this has actually happened this season where a team has acknowledged the fact that people are coming to their stadium purely to watch Messi. And if they don't do something to outreach to those fans and say, okay, we know you're here to see this player. This player's not going to play, but we want to leave you with a good taste in your mouth of our organization. We want you to come back to fire matches without Messi. We're going to give you 50 bucks because we know you're not going to buy a season ticket. We're going to give you 50 bucks and hope it, it makes up for some of the price you paid for your ticket, a goodwill gesture. Miami has one more road game this week, this year. It's against Charlotte FC. I don't think there's any chance in the world that David Tepper is going to offer fans money for the missed opportunity to see Lionel Messi. I think every <laughs> single Charlotte fan will agree that he is not going to do that. But what do you guys think of this, this effort by the Chicago Fire to give money to fans because they were robbed of the opportunity to see Messi at Soldier Field? I, I think it's unnecessary. Um, injuries are part of the game. And um, I was just thinking, like, uh, NBA, people uh, pay a lot of money if they want to see LeBron James. And usually due to um, rotations or, um, like, uh, slight injuries, he ends up missing some of those away games. Mm -hmm. And, like, like, yeah, people are appointed. But, um, but this is, like, I think this – I don't think I have seen anything like this uh, – giving people money just because a player didn't show up. So I think necessary, maybe they are seeing it as like as a marketing 
tool, maybe as a way to grab some more season ticket holders by offering this credit, but um, totally unnecessary. And uh, as you said, Charlotte probably won't do it. Uh, it would have been interesting if it was like, like earlier in the season or even next year, if maybe he's out for a few months uh, mm -hmm. or a few weeks to see what other teams will do. But but yeah, I, I, I don't think it's necessary. No, I, I agree, Santi. I think it's a, it was a self-pitch, the way I saw it. It was just, you see the opportunity, you have 62,000 people buying a ticket or something close to that, uh, and you want to offer them some credit, say like, hey, come back, let's, let's do this over and over again next year if I give you some credit. I mean... If City comes back and tells me he's going to give me $250 for a season ticket, I'm like, yeah, I'll buy it because we know how much the demand in, in, in season tickets for St. Louis is. Um, and and the price is not the highest, but it's not also the lowest. So that's good incentivization. But for Chicago, I mean, I don't have a clue what a season ticket is because obviously they're not as popular. They're not as good team as a good franchise to keep their fans engaged so i think it was just a sales pitch so real quick um, i want your guys opinions on this one and it can be a it can be a lightning take um santi it's because you mentioned this do you think we're going to start to see other teams next season include some kind of incentive for fans to away matches where messi is not available and so they provide a caveat of if Messi doesn't play, we'll give you this. Do you think we might see that at any point next year because of what the fire did? And I, I don't know how it was perceived. I don't know if fans were were thrilled or not, but I could see this being the tip of the iceberg for next year as far as away tickets go because we've already heard a potential for Inter-Miami away games to be carved out of season ticket packages or to be uh, an additional add-on or some kind of extra that fans have to pay because organizations are trying to kind of gouge season ticket holders or or something along those lines. Do you think that we might see any semblance of compensation for fans going to see Messi away if Messi doesn't appear? I think there is a potential for it for any team that that carves out um, that specific ticket and makes it more expensive. Uh, obviously, if I'm a fan, I'm a season ticket holder and you're telling me right away that for that game, I'm going to have to pay double or triple or who knows how much. And uh, me doesn't show up. Yeah, I'm going to go back and say, knock, knock. I want some money back because Messi's not here and you increase my price. But if it is regular season ticket price, no uh, pricing is because of the potential of Messi coming. No, I, I don't think things will be obligated to do anything. I would say I would hope not because that will just damage the business and the environment of soccer in the U.S. Uh, this needs to continue to be a league that manages as a league and not who plays in it. Um, you like I, to be honest, I didn't watch MLS before St. Louis came and I got really passionate about it. And now I watch it all the time. But I watch it because I have a team, because I have that passion. And that's how every fan should be. 
it's just watching your team be passionate. And if you're interested enough, like I am, to follow statistics and see other games and all that, obviously keep watching and watch more other games. And I watch, like it or not, a Kansas City game just to see how bad they do. Um, <laughs> just things like that, you know? But it's just the purpose of if you're a season ticket holder or not, you should be going to the stadium to follow your team, not the the XY person that's coming. Yes, it's exciting that Messi will come and play, and it will be awesome seeing him. But like we were having a conversation when um, Inter Miami was gonna play here, and we were like, "Oh, is he gonna make it? Is he gonna make it here?" And I, I always tell Sandy, like, I prefer if he doesn't make it. I would love to see him play, but I don't care. I want my team to win. And I know if he comes, we might have a different story. So I I just hope that the league manages this correctly and the teams manage it correctly where you sell a, season, a ticket and you sell a season ticket, that's what it is because that's what you bought it for. You bought it to watch your team play, not one player. That's well said, and that's probably the long-term sustainable goal that MLS should have. And and it's not to to draw in the the fan who is only watching the league for one single player because a $50 incentive is not sustainable in getting that type of person to watch and become bought into their local club. There are there are better ways that that has to happen. All right, guys, we've gone long, but I'm not Phil, so I'm not going to shut us off yet because I do have one more topic that I do want hot takes on. And then we don't have time to go deep into these. Um, and it's the supporter shield against MLS cup. I want, <laughs> I want us to get our takes on the record. I want to have this quick conversation cause I know we've gone really long, but let's finish the show off with hot takes on which you view as more important supporter shield or MLS cup Santi go. I'm going to go with MLS Cup, and uh, I was talking to somebody about this this week. I come from Colombia. The league in Colombia, you play uh, like MLS, you play 17, 18 weeks, you play everybody, and then the first eight make it to uh, to the playoffs, and then there is a champion, then second half of the year, you do the same. Nobody cares about who finishes first on the first tournament, on the regular season standings, so or on the second tournament, the overall, um, the the team that gets the, the most points during the tournaments, they get a something similar to a CONCACAF Champions Cup bird. They they get a Copa Libertadores bird, but they don't get any silverware. Nobody talks about oh, um, Once Caldas uh, got the most points and uh, they had a great season, but they don't have a trophy. So. Um, yeah, you, since you that's, since that's how I grew up, I'm going to go with MLS Cup. Winning I mean, is the most important thing. Yeah, well you in the case of Colombia, you make fun of them with the team that finished the, with the most points during the year and they didn't win the championship. You just make fun of them. Like There was a case of one team that did like 53 points in the entire year. And he got eliminated in the first round of playoffs. And everybody was like, oh, well, what, what did you do all this for nothing? You know? So I 100% agree with Santi. Uh, if this was a league like the European leagues that you play all year and the overall wins it, yes. Which but is also a balanced a, schedule, though. Correct. If But this, you do have a tournament after. 
and the tournament is the one who matters. Interesting. Uh, that's that's a great point because the argument that I've seen from obviously FC Cincy fans who just won the supporter oh, shield. No. What what are the odds they would make this argument? But it is that. The season is so long, so grueling that the team that is top at the end of the season has truly done the more difficult job in in finishing first. And so this trophy should be viewed as more so than MLS Cup. The main problem I have with that, and I'm not disagreeing with the difficulty in winning the Supporter Shield. It's it's difficult. But it, it can be compared in American sports to the President's Trophy in hockey, where, yes, it's awarded. It's not viewed as an ultimate prize in the slightest. It is an award that goes out in recognition of a team doing the best on their way to the Stanley Cup. And that's the same concept here. It's it's recognized as an award for doing the best on your way to the MLS Cup playoffs. And it's the star above the crest. It's the ultimate goal in the sport, like you said, Oscar. And it, it's known going into the season. And so mm-hmm. you're, you're almost making intentional choices here. Teams can choose to go for the supporter shield versus going for MLS Cup. You can make this intentional choice. And it it has happened in the past where teams have made runs in the playoffs and they're often viewed as uh, lucky one-off wins or it's a play it's a it's a tournament format, it's a knockout elimination. You can have a 6 or 7 seed jump in, get hot at the end of the season. But I would argue that knowing that the ultimate goal in any season is the cup at the end of the tournament at the end of the season getting into the playoffs is is the first path to that and if you're getting into the playoffs your goal should be to make sure that your team is built to withstand those single elimination matches that you can take health you can do what it takes to win those because it's all part of the ultimate goal the ultimate goal isn't win supporter shield and be done with the season never has been never will be in american sports that's not how this league is designed so I, I'm adding the third voice of agreement that regardless of who wins what in what season, if St. Louis wins next year in the Supporter Shield, I will not eat my words and say, oh, this is the most important. I'll say this is a tremendous feat in our club's history. Bring on the MLS Cup. Absolutely. I think we are all in agreement. Uh, but yeah, I know some people, especially um, right now Cincinnati fans that just won the supporter shield, uh, get more passionate about it. But in the end, the ultimate goal is to win the, the championship, um, no matter how you get there. And, and yeah, I, just talking from my experience in Colombia, a lot of times the team that wins is the team that uh, just gets hot the last weeks and, and gets three wins or a couple of wins and a tie to get in, to get in. And they come uh, like on a high momentum and end up taking the championship. And um, we have seen things, similar things in MLS, uh, maybe not winning the whole thing, but uh, mm-hmm. Portland uh, has made good runs at getting into MLS Cup after uh, getting uh, into a play at, towards the end. So that could the, happen too. The interesting thing to oh, see. It won't be- happen this year though. Oh, you won't. Yeah, I know you're right. Maybe, Maybe they'll get out of the first the Eastern round. Conference. Eastern Conference. We're not talking Western. Yeah, Easter, Easter can do it. Wednesday, no, it's not going to happen. I, I am interested to see how this best of three first round eliminates some of that getting hot at yeah. the end. Because it, it's different to win a best of three home and away, especially if you're a eight seed and you have to go on the road potentially twice. 
just to get out of that round versus win one and you get to move on. Yeah, maybe that'll remove some of that. Uh, like um, if one team having a great game and now they are going to have to uh, win two and potentially two of those could be away. So I think that will remove some of uh, that randomness. Uh, but we'll, we will still see some surprises, hopefully in the Eastern Conference. All right, Oscar, thanks so much for joining us. And I can almost guarantee this will not be the last time you hear Oscar Rojas's <laughs> voice. Uh, really appreciate, appreciate you coming it. on. Thanks, Oscar. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. It was fun. All right. Well, Santi, this was great. For uh, for Phil and Stu, who couldn't be with us today, my name's Matt Baker. We're Flyover Footy, and enjoy, enjoy watching MLS this weekend, knowing that we've wrapped up first place in the West. Best thing I can leave you with. Have a great rest of your weekend. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you later. Go City. Yeah.